While COVID-19 cases have spread throughout the population, cases in continuing and long-term care have grabbed headlines due to the size of outbreaks and the death toll among the elderly. The pandemic has laid bare problems with the system many will rely on as they age, and reports show a wave is coming as the baby boomers get older. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Calgary Herald columnist Leisha Corbella joins me to discuss the toll the pandemic has taken on long-term care, what needs to be addressed to handle the incoming gray tsunami, and the potential cost if changes aren't made. Don't forget you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite shows. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Alicia, early on in the COVID-19 pandemic, long-term care was hit hard in many cities across the country, your city, Calgary, among them. What was it like covering COVID last spring amid these waves of cases? And what was it like for the people who operate these centers? Well, you know, I interviewed a lot of people who operate and work in long-term care homes. And for them, it was absolutely devastating. Obviously, when you work in a long-term care home, a lot of the people are there. It's their last two years of life when people move to like nursing care, really. Mm -hmm. So death is part of what they do. But often, some of them have said to me, Death is often, it's a beautiful time in a person's life because the family all gathers around and they say the things that hadn't been said and they really reconcile a lot of issues and it's, there's a lot of kissing and hugging and all of that and that was missing. And so the staff tried to provide that to the residents who were there, but all of a sudden, especially people with dementia, Mm -hmm. you know, they're there and all of a sudden their family stops visiting and they're not getting touched as much and they're wondering what's going on. And so it was really a difficult time for them. There was a lot of grieving, a lot of weeping. So, you know, I spoke with a woman, Jennifer McHugh, she's the president of Bethany Care Society, which is a faith-based not-for-profit care society for the elderly. And she said she cried at least once a week. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it would just be because of emails from family saying, please let us see our loved one. Yeah. Or, you know, staff members, their husbands had lost their jobs and all the stress is piling up on them. But for, you know, people who work in long-term care homes, they love those residents. So a lot of the nightmare stories about, oh, these people were being neglected and stuff like that. If a place had staff who a whole bunch of them got sick and had to self-isolate, there wasn't enough people. And that's never okay. But for the most part, these are places of great love. And I saw that certainly with my mom in her place in Vancouver. She loved those who cared for her and they loved her. And it was so evident. Mm -hmm. So they're places of love for the most part, but they became a bit of a nightmare, didn't they? And really sort of catastrophic what was going on for many of these homes where the virus would find a way to sneak in and then it would just run rampant through these homes. And I think we've really learned a lot from this pandemic as we look at these places and certainly in some provinces like in Alberta the most people in any one room can be two but in Quebec and Ontario and BC I believe some of these care homes allow four to a room well you can just imagine during a pandemic four people in one room using one bathroom with a curtain separating them, that's not going to do it. And so that's why, you know, Quebec's numbers just went through the roof. 
and you know Canada has the worst rate of death in long-term care homes in the OECD which has 37 countries. Wow. It has not gone well for Canada. And what these experts are saying now is none of them want to run these old 50-year-old homes with four people to a room. None of them. Mm -hmm. They would much rather rebuild. But the demand is so great, right? There are 40,000 people in Canada right now waiting for a long-term care bed that don't exist. And right now, home care isn't doing the trick because 430,000 people in Canada are not receiving the helps that they need from home care. You know, and now we're, we're seeing the baby boom generation is going to be heading into old age. Over the next 30 years, the number of people in Canada over the age of 85 will more than triple. Wow. I want to dig into some of the, those numbers here. Like for, for experts and people in the field, like the pandemic laid a bear a lot of problems with long-term care. And some of these things were existing before the pandemic and they're predicting that things are going to get worse. And one of the items you touched on in your reporting on this was a 2019 report called the future of long-term care in Canada. I believe it was done by the National Institute on Aging out of Ryerson and looking at everything broadly. But what did the report look at and what were some of the main findings when it comes to the needs that will be placed upon the system? It's called the Future of Long-Term Care Costs in Canada. That's mm -hmm. There is another report called uh, the Future of Long-Term Care and it's excellent as well. But <laughs> the Future of Long-Term Care Costs in Canada, it really laid out what's coming. So huge increase in the number of old people in Canada is coming 300% increase more than 300% increase over the next 30 years in the number of people over the age of 85. And the other thing that it looked at was unpaid care. So currently in Canada, loved ones, family members, uh, that could be a spouse or a daughter or a son, mm -hmm. provide the equivalent of about $27 billion worth of unpaid care to their loved ones, their elderly loved ones. The problem going forward is baby boomers had less children than their parents did. And so there's a smaller workforce of unpaid care. Mm -hmm. And then you add to that the fact that our society is much more mobile now. So, you know, a lot of times for people to stay employed, they have to move to another city, another province, another country, another continent. And so they're not available to provide that care. And that is a problem. There will not necessarily be that unpaid care or certainly not as much of it. And they're saying that those who will be providing that unpaid care will be expected to provide about 40% more than people today because there's less hands to do it. Yeah. So that's a problem. So it's sort of like a perfect storm is brewing. And they're saying that the cost of long-term care in Canada is going to balloon from about $22 billion per year today in today's dollars to $71 billion in 30 years. And of course, that's that's ramping up. It's not going to be sudden. Like you know, it's going to be twenty-two billion, then thirty billion, then thirty-five. Like it's it's going to keep going. And the thing that people don't realize is we better spend the money on long-term care and preparing for at least some kind of continuing care or home care or something, because the cost of not doing that is much higher. Yeah. Because a hospital bed, an acute care hospital bed 
is much higher, 609% higher than a home care solution, for instance, double the cost of a long-term care bed. Looking at the pandemic, you look at Ontario, you look at Quebec, you look at at some places in Alberta where you've seen these big outbreaks and these facilities have looked in some ways unprepared to deal with something on the scale of COVID-19. Do you think that people may be less inclined to want to enter into a continuing care facility or seniors may want to stay longer in their own homes, which may put even greater pressure than people were predicting on the need for home care? Oh, yeah. So they've seen that there's actually a new study out by the National Institute on Aging, and it says almost 100% of older Canadians surveyed plan to live independently in their own homes. That's what they want. And many of them say they don't want to go into long term care, whereas before that was lower, like Mm -hmm. there were some people who said that, yeah, you know, I'd be okay with that as long as it was, you know, a relatively nice place and whatever. Now people don't want to go because look at they were so isolated. Right. Yeah. They weren't allowed to leave and they weren't allowed. And if they did leave, they weren't allowed back in and family couldn't visit. So it was really, really tough on elderly people. And I was speaking to one person, I didn't end up quoting them in my piece, but they said, there's not much point in just surviving if you can't see your loved ones. Like, what's the point? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are really rethinking this. But as we go forward, so Bethany Care, for instance, has moved into communities of care. So they have a nursing home, it's called Riverview, and that's for the people with dementia who need memory care and, you know, 24-7 nursing care. But they also have independent seniors, affordable housing on this campus. They've got continuing care where there's some assisted living, where they get their, you know, their sheets are changed and that kind of thing. And the plan is that as those people require more care that they can just purchase that care or get extra care, like, you know, pay for more help with, say, their laundry or whatever, and just add those on and stay in community and stay in their place. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to need to be the model, but we need to start moving. And actually, the Alberta government just announced yesterday that it's spending $2 billion to build new long-term care homes and to help with the capital of that and to uh, provide better care and more hours in the homes and that kind of thing. So I think the messages are starting to come out. Like I think governments are well aware of this. The statistics have been there for a long time about what's coming. Is that what we're going to have to see across the country? You know, we have these facilities that are 50 or 60 years old. As you said earlier, in places like Ontario and Quebec, where there's four to a room, are we talking for the future of long-term care about a wholesale kind of like tear down and rebuild of infrastructure and adjust what these places look like? So I talked to Dr. Samir Sinha. He's probably the foremost expert on geriatric care in Canada, maybe North America. And he said he just can't see baby boomers accepting these kinds of conditions. I mean, baby boomers didn't live through the Great Depression. They didn't do all the things that a lot of their parents did. And so they will not 
accept that moving from their home to a shared room with other people. They're just not going to accept it. Mm -hmm. And we already see that starting to happen. Well, like I said, none of these homes actually want to run those places anymore. They just don't have an option because the demand is always there. Mm -hmm. They can't say, well, you know, we're shutting this place down. So sorry, you go to the hospital and sit in a hallway. They're remaining open, but there's no capital dollars to build the new places. But the not-for-profits, they have to fundraise. Mm-hmm. Like, Bethany Care, some of the money comes from government, but the rest they have to fundraise. So if they want to build a big atrium where family can meet and have more meeting rooms and all of those kinds of things, that costs money. They have to fundraise for those extras. Is this where the feds and the provinces need to come into play here? Is it the capital? Is it operating? What, what role do the governments at various levels play in this? I think it's both. And I know that long-term care is a provincial responsibility, as is health care, right? We know that. Mm-hmm. But the problem is it's so piecemeal right now. And, you know, when there's demands for acute care increases and that kind of thing, this sort of gets left by the wayside. And I think we need some kind of national standards. Some of these experts that I spoke with are talking about uh, some kind of a long-term care insurance plan whereby Canadians starting maybe at the age of 40 start paying into a national program and that will give them the opportunity to spend that money that's saved or maybe the money that's accrued can go into some capital. Mm-hmm. You know, I think most governments are relying on the private sector to put up the capital. And then it's going to be, you know, for-profit homes, which is, you know, fine. Some of them are lovely and will will do very well, but not everybody will be able to afford the for-profit homes. So the federal and provincial governments need to sit down and get over this whole jurisdictional stuff <laughs> and come up with a plan to have national standards and that kind of thing. So that's what a lot of the experts are hoping for. It's what they're pushing for. I'm really grateful to places like the National Institute on Aging, the Canadian Institute on Health Information. I mean, these places are doing a lot of great work. I started this off and wasn't really sure where it would take me. And I have to say, by the end of it, I was alarmed. Mm-hmm. Most Canadians have not saved nearly enough money for their old age. The nice thing about baby boomers, however, is that they are comparatively and generally speaking, not everybody, but generally speaking, a much wealthier demographic than their parents and their grandparents. And so a lot of them do have quite a lot of assets. They have cottages and some of them have defined benefit pension plans and even people who work blue collar jobs like you think of the people who worked at Ford plants and Chrysler plants in Ontario those baby boomers did have defined benefit pension plans and made a lot of money and did accrue a lot of stuff and of course housing has gone up enormously so they have a lot of equity in their homes so mm-hmm. it's not quite as bad and the other thing I've read another report I had I've read a zillion of reports on this but there's this other report that talks about how by virtue of the fact that so many more women are in the workforce, a lot of these women are no longer as destitute when their husbands die or pass on because they have CPP and their own workplace pension plans and that kind of thing. So they will have more money and therefore will be able to purchase better care. 
you mentioned that earlier, Bethany Care looking at communities of care, and you talk about you know the private sector kind of leading the way on some of these changes. What does the future of aging in Canada look like when it comes to how these communities and how retirement and and growing old changes? Well, there's a place in Calgary, it's called Westman Village. It has the feel of an inner city village, but it is in the suburbs and it's absolutely stunning and it is very popular. So what has happened is people are downsizing from their homes. They're moving to their apartments or condos. It's single floor living. It's designed for people to age in place. I mean, there's fountains everywhere and there's a big sort of like community center. They call it the village center. And it's got, you know, a gym with all of the best equipment. It's got a golf simulator. It's got a games room with pool and darts and ping pong. It has a library and a big sort of greenhouse area. It has a wine room and a pool and a water slide for the grandkids and, you know, kayaks at the lake. I mean, it's spectacular. And it's not crazy expensive. So all of this is relative, of course, but like I had, I I spoke to these people who sold their bungalow villa and moved to Westman Village and it was a lateral move. So they sold their villa bungalow for $500,000 and moved to Westman Village for $500,000. And yeah, they had to sell their pool table and their treadmill and They had to get rid of a lot of furniture and they moved into a two bedroom place with big balconies, I must say. And they say they don't miss any of that other stuff because they've got basically their owners of a 40,000 square foot place where they, you know, there's an indoor walking track, there's cafes and they're super happy there. Mm -hmm. I really believe, and there's evidence of this already that Westman Village is starting. It's like, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. Westman Village is raising the tide and all the boats are going to lift because people are going to say, yeah, I want to downsize. I want to be proactive in my aging. I don't want to leave this to my kids, but I want to have a place where my grandkids will want to come. And let's face it, most grandkids do not want to go to some old folks home, mm-hmm. right? And and what's happened is the result of Jay Westman building this huge community of uh, 860 homes, basically, is young people are moving in. They love it so much. <laughs> so it's not a bunch of 70-year-olds looking at 80-year-olds. It's 70-year-olds living next door to 35-year-olds with kids. Wow. It's truly something. And I think that that's how these communities are going to change. And there's this other thing that's happening now in the world. It's called co-housing. It's very big in parts of Europe, really taken off in Germany, where people will get together and buy a building and they'll have like a communal kitchen. Everybody will have their own little kitchen. The group of people, the, the board will choose, okay, we've got this many old people. So now we need some young families. So the young family will move in with their baby and they've got all these instant grandparents because there's old people <laughs> there. But, you know, the old people won't have to shovel the walk, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's symbiotic. And so this co-housing model is really starting to take off. And I think we're going to start seeing more of that. One thing that always I find curious is when it comes to election time, you have a huge demographic group that tends to vote in large numbers when you talk about people over the age of 55, but you never really see issues about aging come to the fore in an election. 
It's always about taxes or, you know, education or healthcare broadly, but never really a lot of specifics around seniors. Do you feel that because of what we've seen with long-term care and continuing care due to the COVID-19 pandemic, that these issues will become more prominent as, you know, we go to the polls federally, as provinces see further elections in the coming years? Oh, definitely. And Dr. Sinha actually referred to this with me. And he said in the last federal election, if you look at which parties won, um, you know, the Liberals won and they had been making promises with regard to funding of caregivers for the elderly and that sort of thing. And the Conservatives did nothing. And he believes that that played a large role, that the baby boomers are huge, not just a huge demographic, but they're also people who vote. Mm -hmm. So if the governments want to ensure that they get the vote of this enormous baby boom generation, they are going to have to start addressing what the baby boomers see as a problem. And like many of these social scientists I spoke with, I spoke to um, a sociologist from the U of T. Her name's Ido Peng. And she is a specialist on comparative, like looking at Canada versus Japan and that kind of thing. And she says that baby boomers have high expectations to their lifestyle. They will want to make sure that they move into a place where they can still have a very active lifestyle. Even though I, I have found my research has sort of alarmed me about the future, I have to say most people will not need long-term care hopefully, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think we're pretty healthy. Most of us try to stay active and healthy and that kind of thing. There's going to be a need for that. But I think what we're going to need is supports, not necessarily nursing care, but supports. Okay, we want to continue living in our own home. How do we do that? And what kind of supports are there? And what role will government play? Maybe a lesser role. Maybe this generation will be able to afford to pay for people to come into their homes and help them more. But we need to start really thinking about all of this. And there's definitely going to need to be a huge government outlay and a huge government outlay on capital to build these better places with that are more home-like and less institutional will ultimately save the taxpayer money because we don't want our elderly people to end up in acute care hospitals mm -hmm. where it costs a fortune. It's a fascinating subject. I know it's something that will be the focus of Canadians in the coming years as we exit this pandemic. Alicia, thanks for your time. You're so welcome. Nice to chat with you, Dave, as always. 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Alicia Corbella. More from her at calgaryherald.com. Our full post-pandemic series can be found at postpandemic.nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.